Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now as you prepare your heart to receive God's Word, we pray that His Spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life. It's good. Some sections want to linger longer. Other sections sit down a little faster. That's okay. It's good for us uh, to do that. Well, here's a question for you. Isn't it true that most of us, uh, no matter where we find ourselves on the patience spectrum, most of us, if not all of us, have a real hard time waiting. Isn't that true? I was in a lineup at Tim Hortons this week, and there were nine employees at the drive through window and zero employees at the cash register. And the people in the line, including myself, were having a difficult time waiting. I know, don't rebuke me. I know. I was praying for patience. But it's amazing to me the prevalence of the theme of waiting uh, throughout the Bible. Even as just a superficial look at the scriptures would show us that God's timing is not like our timing and that God has so much good for us and accomplishes so much of his good purposes in us through seasons and times of waiting. I want you to just to consider, for example, the people of Israel after a time of blessing and prosperity and multiplication throughout the land of Egypt. The script is flipped, and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, enslaves God's people, uh, not for days, uh, not for weeks, not for one year or five years or ten years, but consider that God's people were calling on him for deliverance for 400 years. Waiting. Consider the end of the Old Testament, hundreds and hundreds of years of prophecy pointing to the Messiah, and yet between Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, we have 400 years of silence waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the purposes of God, waiting for the prophecies to be fulfilled, waiting Consider the Psalms and how often the psalmist is found waiting on the Lord. Psalm 25, 5, Psalm 37, 34, Psalm 62, 5, Psalm 135, on and on and on and on. For God alone, my soul waits. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. And now, O oh Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Wait for the Lord. But we have a hard time waiting, don't we? We, we have a tough time when our weather apps loads for five seconds because we want to know what the weather is now. We have a hard time watching Five seconds of ads before the YouTube video we want to see comes up. Are you like me? Five seconds into an ad and then you see number two is coming up? I don't need this video anymore. Because we 
don't know how to wait. Isn't that true? Do you see that in your own life? Well, this is one of the things that is prevalent, as I said, all throughout God's Word, the significance and importance and the work of God in the waiting. And here also in the book of Habakkuk, the inquisitive and reverent, even doubting prophet is learning this lesson, what it means to wait on God, what it means to be formed by Him in the waiting. How, in fact, do we wait on God? We're going to take a look at that today. The title of this morning's message is this, now, when it's time to wait. And I want you to take your Bible and go with me to Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk chapter 1, we're going to be in verses uh, 12 to chapter 2, verse 5. If you don't have a Bible, you can put up your hand, and one of the ushers on either side here would love to put a copy of God's Word into your hand. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible will be our gift to you. We'd love you to take it home and read it and have your life changed by the Word of God. Continuing in our series, Habakkuk, Waiting on God When There's No End in Sight. If you're having trouble finding Habakkuk, <clears throat> excuse me, just go to the end of the Old Testament <clears throat> and move backward. And you can find Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, Zephaniah, and there you'll rewind to Habakkuk. Let's look at the text together. Habakkuk chapter 1, starting from verse 12. And this is what it says. In my Bible, it's entitled Habakkuk's Second Complaint. It says, <clears throat> Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment. And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Chapter 2, verse 1, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is wide as Sheol, like death. He has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Now, throughout this series, every time I finish reading the text, I'm anticipating that some of you are thinking, what? What is that all about? I want to bring to you some truth, some hope concerning what the prophet Haggai, uh, Habakkuk is learning 
and particularly what it means to wait on God. So if you're taking notes, I want you to make a note of this. Here's where we're going to start. Learning to wait on God, and then we're going to draw this from the text. Don't worry, we're going to teach you. Learning to wait on God means remembering the character of God. Okay, I'm going to teach you what this text is telling us, and then we're going to bring application to it. I want you to notice verse 12 to 13 again. Habakkuk says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? He says, We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Okay, we're going to place these verses in context in case you haven't been with us or just in case you need a bit of review. We saw in message number one that Habakkuk had received a strong burden from the Lord. He was burdened by the fact that the land of Judah was filled with wrongdoing. He was burdened by the fact that the law of God amongst God's people had been abandoned. He was burdened by the fact that the leaders of Judah were immersed in idolatry. So he cried out to God, you'll remember, why? And he cried out to God and he said, how long? How long are you going to let this happen? Remember, we touched on that in message number one. In message number two, we saw God's faithful answer to Habakkuk's prayer, to his prayers of lament. Why, God? How long? In message two, we saw God's faithful answer. We saw that God always answers prayer, be encouraged, but not in the way we expect or even want sometimes. And God answered Habakkuk by reassuring him that all the wrongs would eventually be made right, that the guilty would not go unpunished, that his people would be disciplined for his idolatry. The shocker was in verses 5 to 11, though, you'll remember, The shocker wasn't how God was going to discipline his people. That he would raise up a wicked nation called the Chaldeans in order to humble and judge his own people. And this greatly distressed and troubled Habakkuk. God answers his prayer, but the answer is not what Habakkuk is expecting. How could God use a nation of unprecedented wickedness to judge a nation far less wicked than they are? It doesn't make much sense to the prophet. And so he laments and he cries out. We saw the truth that God is sovereign over all nations. And just in case you're sitting here, you're scratching your head as well, wondering, well, well, I think that's happening in our world today too. Governments rising and falling and and tyrants rising and falling. And where is God in all of this? Well, we see from Habakkuk that God is sovereign over all nations and that God uses all nations as he pleases according to his purpose. And this should bring us great comfort today because nations, as I said, may rise and fall and presidents and prime ministers may rise to power and fall. Wars may erupt and end, but God is over it all. Now, if you're sitting here scratching your head, wondering how could this be, take comfort in the fact that our God is sovereign and he is in control. Maybe right now you're thinking about our world. You're thinking about our culture. You're thinking about our government. You're thinking about things that are perplexing you. How can God let this happen? Take comfort in this. Habakkuk understands 
God is in control of everything. Now, this is the context. Here now in verses 12 to 17, particularly, we have Habakkuk's second round of questioning. And the truth that I want you to see in this second round of questioning is this, that throughout this text, throughout Habakkuk's prayer, Habakkuk displays, again, an appropriate way of questioning God in prayer that works to strengthen him and teach him and prepare him for God's answers in chapter 2, 1 to 5. What is the distinctive mark of Habakkuk's prayer here? It's something we have to get. And it's this. I want you to notice. His prayers are shaped by his knowledge of the character of God. And this is what will fuel his faith. His prayers are shaped by his knowledge of the character and nature of God. On the screen for you is A.W. Tozer who said this, we wonder why we don't have faith. The answer is faith is confidence in the character of God. And if we don't know what kind of God God is, we cannot have faith. And Habakkuk understands that. I want you to see it in verses 12 to 13. Habakkuk says, in response to God's answer, he's perplexed. This is what he prays back to God. He says, are you not from everlasting? What is he doing? I want you to notice that when Habakkuk is perplexed about what God is doing, he calls to mind the eternality of God, the nature of God, the character of God. He has to keep this front and center. Otherwise, he's going to despair. He's going to be disillusioned. He's not going to learn the lessons God wants him to learn. He's not going to be able to wait patiently on the Lord when things aren't going the way he thinks they need to go. He says, are you not from everlasting then he goes on, oh Lord, my God. I want you to notice that when Habakkuk feels like God is distant, he calls to mind the very personal name of God. Lord is capitalized. That's the personal name of God in the Old Testament, Yahweh. And when Habakkuk feels like God is distant, he calls to mind this personal name of God, Yahweh. And he remembers his immutability, that means that God doesn't change. His eternality, as we've just seen, his absolute sufficiency in and of himself. He is who he is. Habakkuk, perplexed, has to pray this way, calling to mind the character of God. He goes on, he says, my holy one. When Habakkuk feels like God is tolerating sin, he has to call to mind the truth of who God is. God is not tolerating sin. God is always working, we saw, even when we can't see it. And so he calls to mind this reality of who God is so that his faith can be spurred on. My holy one. He calls to mind the holiness and purity of God. Notice this now. He goes on to say, you have ordained them as a judgment. I don't understand why the Chaldeans, this wicked nation, is going to come in here and humble us. I don't know why you're choosing to do it that way. They're, they're far worse than us. But he says, you have ordained it. Can you think of the attribute of God there? Can you think of the character of God there? Sovereignty. 
sovereignty. He's perplexed. He's confused, but he's calling to mind the nature of God. God, you have ordained this. I know you are sovereign. I know you are in control. This is what fuels his faith. Finally, notice, he says, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. When the foundations of Judah are crumbling, Habakkuk calls to mind the rock-solid stability of his God. He calls him a rock. He's not just sitting there kind of complaining randomly. He makes his complaint, but his complaint, his lament is informed by the character of God. He cannot have faith if he does not have in plain view the character and nature of God. This, loved ones, is what I want you to see. That this is the basis upon which Habakkuk comes to God in prayer. His knowledge of who God really is. Why is this important for us? Well, because of what A.W. Tozer just reminded us of. When your world gets rocked, when bad things happen to you, when you are perplexed at what's happening in the world around you, when you can't make sense of how can this be, the way the culture is going, how can this be in the culture? How can we have moved so far away? How can this be in my life? How can cancer have struck in me like this? How can I have lost my loved one this way? How can that be when you're struck with these questions? And we all have them, and some of you have them in a very real and personal way today, don't you? The way we move away from disillusionment and just throwing up our hands is by calling to mind in prayer, through lament, the character and nature of God. And when you call to mind the character and nature of God, you are quickly adjusted in your perspective. I don't understand what's going on, but he's not going to fail me. I, I don't understand how sin can be so rampant in the society, but, but he, he's got a purpose. He's holy. I don't know what he's doing in my life through this sickness or this illness or this affliction that has come upon me, but he is sovereign. He knows. And when you understand this theology, when you look, when you begin to read the Bible and begin to draw out truth like this, when you begin to read sections like Habakkuk like we just read and begin to draw out the attributes of God in Habakkuk's prayer, you begin to learn to do that for yourself and you find yourself with an elevated perspective. And no matter how hard things may be for us, you may be down. You may be discouraged. You may be feeling so weak today and so afflicted. I've been there. What do we do? We pray. We call to mind the character of God. We bring our concerns and our questions to him. We bring our laments to him. That's going to lead us to our second point. Learning to wait on God means remembering the character of God. You can't learn to wait on Him without having this plain view of who He is in front of us. Secondly, learning to wait on God means wrestling with the actions of God. Has everyone, any, anyone ever taught you in church that you're allowed to wrestle with God? That's what Habakkuk is doing here. 
I want you to notice it in verses 13, the second part of 13, down to 17. He says, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than ye? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them. He's talking about what the Babylonians, the Chaldeans are going to do. What they do, they, they drag them out with a net. They gather them to the dragnet. And Babylon, the Chaldeans, they, they rejoice and they be glad in this. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. See then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? These are important questions that Habakkuk is asking. And here Habakkuk continues to model something for us that many of us maybe have experienced but haven't been able to place in the right theological category. Maybe you're here today and you're like, yeah, I've had times with the Lord where I've said, why? I wasn't sure about how I felt about that though. I've had times where I've called out to God and said, how long is this trial going to last? And I wasn't really sure how I felt about talking to God that way. Because I want to be respectful. I want to be reverential to God. He's holy. And maybe no one ever gave you the theological category with which you can pray. The category is the prayers of lament. That's what Habakkuk is doing here. And he's not displeasing God. It's what you read about all throughout the Psalms. You hear and read about Psalms of lament. It's, it's a way we can wrestle with God because we don't understand his activity. It's a way for us to reverentially and respectfully come to God and say, I don't understand what you're doing. Why are you doing this? How long is this going to last, Lord? This really hurts. I, I, I don't think I can make it much longer. Maybe you've been there. But no one ever taught you to understand what that really is theologically. It's lament. It's lament. Commentator David Baker wrote this. He wrote, the prophet's faith, speaking of Habakkuk, in a holy God is challenged by the reality of Yahweh's choice of the Babylonians as an instrument of punishment. And this causes Habakkuk again to ask, why? And so Habakkuk is trusting in the character of God, but, but he has a moral dilemma here in the verses we just read. He's contending with the problem of evil in the world. And he's wrestling with the actions and choices that God is making. It looks like you're silent, God. I, I know who you are, and I need to keep that in plain view. Otherwise, I'm going to go in a bad way. I know who you are, but it looks like you're silent. God, why? That's verse 13. Not only does it look like you're silent, but your solution seems to be making matters much worse. The fish analogy in verses 13 to 17, it's a symbol of judgment and captivity that the Creator God is subjecting His people to. And, and Habakkuk is wrestling with this. Precisely because he has a high view of God, he's wrestling with this. His small human brain cannot understand what God is doing. And that's true for us every day, isn't it? Our small, 
finite brains cannot comprehend. How our holy and righteous and perfect and sovereign God can allow and even ordain certain things that happen. Now, some of you think you just have to take the theology of God's sovereignty and just put it in your pocket and walk away, ask no questions. Well, Habakkuk shows us something different. He believes in the sovereignty of God, but he's wrestling right now. And he's wrestling particularly in prayer through prayers of lament. Do you know how powerful this is, loved ones? Maybe there are people in this room, maybe many, maybe most of us that have never experienced this depth in our prayer lives. The the place we can get to where we get on our knees and we acknowledge the nature and character of God in such a way where we keep that in plain view because we trust that that's going to fuel our faith. But we actually get to a posture where we ask why and how long and I don't understand. And we have the scriptures open and we go to the prayers of lament in scripture and we let the scripture fuel our prayer so that we can unload and unburden and fuel our faith. I would dare to say probably so many of us in this room have never entered that realm of prayer. You just thought, there's no room to ask questions. There's no room to wrestle. I'm going to be a good Christian boy and just struggle internally. Habakkuk says, the model's for us. Take that internal struggle and unload that burden to God. Because he loves you. He wants to hear from you. And he can handle it. There's a way to reverentially and respectfully do that. And I wonder how many of us need that theological category today of lament. I read a little bit this week about, it was an unknown author who had written about the reality we face in churches, and he asks some important questions that maybe some of you haven't asked before. As we sit here in this church, he he asks, for example, can you imagine that at your church in any given service like this, that there might be one or two marriages in big trouble? Sometimes we come to church and we just, it's all about me. It's all about me. I sit down, I do my thing, I listen to a message. Maybe I get something, maybe I don't. I walk out, I don't talk to anybody. Have you ever thought about that? That maybe we, maybe in this room today, there are one or two or three or 10 or 20 or 100 marriages that might be in real trouble. And that there are people, husbands and wives sitting here that are very burdened and weighed down by that. So what about someone who's been struggling with sexual temptation in the workplace? Could it be? Could it be in the church and in the service like this that there's somebody struggling? Teens who are drifting away from the family and from the faith. There be a man addicted to pornography, a woman addicted to pills, grandparents who need to re-enter the workforce because they can't live on social security, yet they're not sure how they're going to be able to find a job. Someone who's just noticed a lump and, and they think it might be cancer, or a young man heartbroken after his first breakup, or a middle-aged lady wondering if anyone will even marry her, someone suffering from painful arthritis, 
another in a nasty fight with siblings over the terms of their father's will. The writer says, pain and sorrow are everywhere. Often, he says, lurking beneath the smiles of our brothers and sisters. Well, Habakkuk is here and he's feeling some pain. He's perplexed. He's confused. He's bearing a heavy burden. And how is he going to wait on God for God's answers if he just continues to suffer under the weight of all his pain? Well, he models for us praying prayers of lament. And I talk to enough of you to know that there are people here that need to lament to God. You've, you've maybe, maybe you're in this room, you talk to enough people. You have. You've talked to enough people. Your problem maybe for some of you is not that you, don't, you need to talk to someone. Some of you, you've talked to enough people. Now you need to talk to God. You need to bring your burdens to Him. There's a book I want to commend to you. It's not on the screen. I wish I, I had it for you, but I want you to pay close attention to the title and I want you to get it if you want to learn more about what it means to lament and pray prayers of lament. It's a book entitled Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. And the subtitle is Discovering the Grace of Lament. It's by a wonderful author named Mark Brogoff. I really wish I had it. We probably do have it on our resources page on our website. Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament. As I'm studying Habakkuk, loved ones, there's so much I can say, but I want to help you. I want to help us. And the reality is, I know there are people here and you feel like there are dark clouds over your life, and it's been a long time. Well, God wants to teach us how to wait on Him, and one of the ways we learn that is by wrestling with God through prayers of lament. Learning to wait on God means remembering the character of God, wrestling with the actions of God. Finally, this. Learning to wait on God means watching for clarity from God. Watching for clarity from God. Notice chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk says, I will take my stand at my, notice, at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. <clears throat> And what I will answer concerning my complaint. Here Habakkuk employs military language to express his intention now to wait for God's answer. He's watching. He's on the lookout. He's stationed at his post. What will God say to me? This is his expression of anticipation and trust. And if we're going to be people who learn what it means to wait on God, we have to keep God's character in front of us. We have to learn to wrestle with his actions in prayers of lament. But we have to also look up. 
We have to look out. We have to have a heart of faith to say, what is he going to say? What is he going to do? And that heart of anticipation is what we see in Habakkuk. Surely enough, God does indeed answer in chapter 2, verses 2 to 5. I notice verse 2 of chapter 2. And the Lord answered me, notice, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. God instructs Habakkuk to write down the vision, his answer on tablets, and to make it clear. He wants him to write it down on tablets so that the vision can be preserved in that context. Why? Why? Because it's going to be a while before God answers or activates his answer. And Habakkuk doesn't like this. But here, here's what God is doing. He's teaching him what it means to wait. He says, I'm going to answer you. I'm going to give you a vision. Write it on tablets. I want you to write it on tablets because it needs to be preserved. Because it's going to be a bit of time here before I do the things that I say I'm going to do. And some of you are saying, why? Why? I, I like, Jason, when you tell me that God answers prayer. I like that. That's good. But I don't like... When you tell me that sometimes he answers and he tells me that, that you're going to need to document this on a tablet because it's going to be some time before we get to it, before it's actually done. But we need to learn to wait on God. This is what God is teaching him. Notice verse 3 now. For still, he says, the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Do you see what's happening here? God has a purpose. God has a plan. God is not constrained or restrained to time. We are. We think in terms of time. God is not. And we see that God is always working even when we don't see it. We see that God is always answering prayer. We see that he responds to us when we wrestle with his activity. But we also see many points at, in, in our lives where he says, I'm coming, I am coming, hang on. I promise you, I am going to intervene. I will not delay. If it seems slow, wait for it. I wonder if God is filling your heart with faith today. Because there's a promise in God's word that you're hanging on to. There's a truth from the scriptures that you're hanging on to. And you're saying, God, you, you said this is who you are. You said this is what you'll do. You said this is what you bless. I'm doing these things. I'm honoring you. I'm coming to you. I'm abiding in you. But it's not happening. It's a year. It's two years. It's 10 years. It's 30 years. With God's character in plain view. Wrestling in the moments that we don't understand. Watch and wait. God says, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. Look now at verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. Watch this now. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Now, this is an important verse. It's quoted three times in the New Testament. Yes, Habakkuk, the Chaldeans are puffed up. 
but those who belong to me will trust me in all of this. The righteous will live by faith. And here's the key that I want you to see, something that we hear very often growing up in church, but something that I think, if you're like me, something that loses its, loses its sharpness in my life. The righteous will live by his faith, okay? In the context of Habakkuk, Habakkuk is saying, here, oh, sorry, God is saying to Habakkuk, here is the key. Faith. The righteous are those who trust me. The righteous are those to, who hang on to my promises. The righteous are those who believe me. The righteous are those who never give up. They trust. They put their faith in me. They know that God is going to come through. The righteous live by faith no matter what's happening. And in the New Testament context, the Apostle Paul and the writer to the Hebrews quotes this verse in the context of our justification. It's the key to the Christian life. In fact, you cannot find salvation apart from faith in Jesus Christ. The key in Habakkuk's context and the key in Paul's context and in the Hebrews' context is faith. Not just faith for salvation. But some of you, your justification is secured. You have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. You've repented in your sins. You understand by grace through faith, I am saved, not of my doing, lest anyone boast. No, I've come to him already. But now all of a sudden, maybe something has come upon you and you've lost sight of this reality that not only is faith for justification, but faith is for sanctification. Trust. Trust. He has saved me. He has justified me. And now I'm on my way and, and things are hard in this process of sanctification and, and things are happening all around me that I don't understand. And then I stop reading my Bible for a few days at a time. And then I stop going to church for a few weeks at a time. And then I've never gone to the prayer meeting in months. And all of a sudden, my perspective is gone. And here's the key. The righteous live by faith. You remember that? We trust God. We believe God. We take him at his word. The righteous live by faith. I wonder if there's anyone in this room today that needs to be reminded in your circumstance and in your situation that the key is faith. How will you learn to wait on God? By faith. How will you learn to trust him when things aren't turning in the way you want them to turn? By faith. How will you stay encouraged and moving forward? By faith. He is who he says he is. He does what he says he will do. He will never fail us. He will not delay. He always comes through. The key is faith. And so I just want to encourage you now as I end. If you've lost sight of this in your Christian life, we have no time we have to regain this theological reality. The righteous live by faith. We have a prayer meeting happening tonight. And this is what I've been asking God for, and I'm just going to share openly with you. I'm saying, Lord, don't necessarily bring a lot of people. We've traditionally at our prayer meeting, we had a lot of people show up. It's good. It's wonderful. It's a blessing. But here's where my heart is. Lord, I'm not looking for a lot of people at the prayer meeting. But I'm looking for us who come to be filled with faith. 
for us to recognize the days are evil, for us to come now and lift our hands and call on God and sing his praises and recount his character and his attributes, to understand that the world is a dark place and the light of Jesus Christ needs to be shone through, if not through the church, through who? We must pray, we must strengthen our faith, we must put our confidence in him. So what I'm asking for tonight is that if you wanna exercise your faith tonight, if you want to come with hands raised tonight in worship, if you want to come with a heart posture announced before God tonight, if you want to say, I'm done with my own remedies, I'm done trusting my own ways, I want to trust him with my church family, if that's you, then come. Because there could be five people filled with faith and confidence with the word of God in front of us and so much can happen rather than a hundred people who are just kind of there to see their friends. So don't get me wrong. I want you all to come. I want every single one of you to come to pray tonight. We have a lot to pray for. We're going to share a bit of an update about where our leadership is at and for the purpose of praying with faith for God to help us. We're going to pray for compassion and the ministry of compassion. We're going to pray with faith that God could use this little church to impact nations around the world. We're going to pray with faith. Righteous live by faith. And so if you're ready for that, meet me at 7 o'clock tonight at St. James United Church. We're not going to be too long, an hour, an hour and a half. But for those of you who come with faith, it's going to be probably the sweetest hour, hour and a half of your whole week. Final thing. If you're in this room and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior by putting your faith in Him, been living on your own way and living on your own path. And God is calling you. Salvation is found in no one else than in Jesus Christ. And maybe there's just one person here who needs to do that. Turn from your sin. Put your faith in him. Repent of your sin. Put your faith in him. And he will come to live inside of you. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, right now I pray for everyone in this room. And I pray for our church. Oh God, we, we do not want to go through the motions. God, we repudiate going through the motions. We don't want that. We, we despise that. We hate that. Forgive us, Lord when we go through the motions, doing the same thing every day, week after week. Lord, I just believe that there are people in this room today that are going through the motions and they need to trust you again. They need to believe you again in the way that they believed you when they were first saved, when the way that they had a zeal for you and a passion for you, that God can do anything and God sees us and he loves us. He is with us. God, I pray for our church. Would you ignite the fire of faith in our hearts? that would allow us to watch and look for you, worship you, to seek you, to wrestle with you. 
Lord, I pray for the people in this room today. Oh God, even if there's one that needs to put their faith in you, that you would open their hearts. They would come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. For the rest of us that have real sorrows and pains, help us. Help them. We pray. We have faith for what you're doing in this church. And we have faith for what's ahead and its consequence on the city and on the world. We pray all these things now in the name of Jesus Christ. Give you all the glory. Do you agree? Say amen. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.